All righty, let's, let's settle in and we'll get started. Hello. I'm like Tigger. Hello. All righty. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our study in Ephesians. I did ask uh, Nick and Mary to pass out the handout, um, and uh, you don't need it, uh, but it, it will help you as I uh, go through the outline. I have been known to go off script. I will try not to do that as we, uh, as we go through the, uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning. But before we do anything, let's, let's ask the Lord to join us and uh, ask His blessing on the, the study of His Word this morning. Our Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have to open your word, to look at your word, and to um, receive from you instruction from your word today. Lord, may what we learn today be useful in our knowledge and in the application of that which you've given us. Help us to become better and more like Christ for having been here today. And Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are walking through uh, Ephesians, um, and it's a, a, a manual for the new humanity is the overarching theme. And today's lesson is the wisdom and revelation of the new humanity, which is uh, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 23 in chapter 1. So let's read those verses together, uh, verses 15 through 23 in Ephesians Chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's the reading of God's word. Um, so let's let's begin now as we take a look. So the 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 thought that I'd like to impress upon us as we look toward the practical application, how we can live out the truths that we're going to uh, discuss this morning. How we can is the thought I'd like to to kind of leave us with is the new man and the new woman live life in the revealed assurance of the resurrection and the returning Christ. So the new man and the new woman, that's us. We are new creatures in Christ. We live life in the revealed assurance that we have 
a known assurance that comes to us through the Word of God, through the testimony of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit impressing upon us that known assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ, that Christ is not only resurrected and living and seated in power, that he is coming again in great glory and great might. So that known, that revealed assurance is given to us and um, that we know that Christ is returning, he's alive, he's our king, and how we apply all of that to our lives is what we're going to take a look at uh, today. So one of the things that I think we are trying to drive home and knitting all these lessons together is the indicative and imperative. And by the way, Jim Cerisi is terrible with big words. I know what they are. Like if you, but if you tell me, you tell me define a word, most of the times I'll be, tell me what it is again. Yeah, I know what that is. But the, the word itself sometimes escapes me because I'm just not good at capturing that stuff. But the way, the way I try to look at the indicative is it's the re- revealed truth in Scripture. It's things that we know from God that he has shown us in his word. It's things that um, we, we, uh, we understand uh, in the word of God. It's things that are taught to us. It's, it's things that are given to us. And the imperative is how we flesh that out in our daily lives, how we take those indicatives, the things that God tells us, and turn those into how God requires us to live and how we should live. That's what we should do. That's what we are commanded to do. So we're going to take a look at, and the way I did the lesson this morning is I kind of outlined it at a high level. And then I want to take a look at the things that are indicative to these, uh, these scriptures, uh, these uh, verses, and then take a look at the things that are imperative to us. And then uh, kind of uh, we'll have a question and answer time as we, uh, as we consider the things that we've discussed this morning. Um, so again, the, the new man and the new woman uh, live life in revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ. So in verses 15 and 16, let's reread those just for a second. For this reason, and this is Paul, and I'm not going to go over when he says for this reason, it's, he's really linking back to what he just said in verses 14 and prior. Um, he's talking about the things that Pastor Ken and uh, Pastor Josh had discussed in their lessons. So, but he's linking that, and I'm not going to go over that in depth, but for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love toward all your saints, he, I, do not, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul, the new man and new woman's response to brothers and sisters in Christ. So when Paul's, uh, Paul's response to hearing of the faith and the lives and the, and the, uh, the, the testimony of the people in Ephesus, he said, I want, I do, when I heard of this, I don't cease to pray for you. I'm continually praying for you. I'm not just, it's not just a one and done. I don't know about you, but sometimes when somebody asks me to pray for them, I pray for them so that I don't make myself a liar because I may not remember to pray down the road. Now, but Paul is not saying that here. He's not telling the Ephesians, I've prayed for you. He says, I cease not. I am continually praying for you. I am always thinking about you. And I think one of the things that, uh, if, you know, as we think about Paul, we certainly know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, 
He is always praying for us. He ceases not to pray for us and intercede for us. So that's, that's the heart of Paul, I think, does match the heart of God in that one. And then in verse um, 16, uh, we see he, he, that, you know, he, he, doesn't, he remembers them always in his prayer. So in verse 17 and 18, the new man and woman's need for godly wisdom. And he says, okay, I'm praying for you, but let me tell you how I'm praying for you. And I think this is really important to grab because what Paul is saying here, I heard of your faith and I think the most important things that I can pray for you are... And what does he say? He says in verse 17 and 18 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he's prayed for the new converts that they would have wisdom to comprehend the scriptures and that they would have a good understanding of their standing before God. So there's, these two are coupled, they're linked. He said, I want you to be able to have wisdom. I want you to understand the Bible, basically, is what he's saying. We'll talk about that in a bit. I want you to understand the wisdom of God so that you can understand your new position, your new life, your new creation. I want you to be able to understand that. So this is what Paul was praying for the new uh, Christians in Ephesus. And uh, in verses 19 through 23, uh, he, he prayed that they would um, understand the revelation of the, for the new man and woman. Paul prayed that they would understand that Christ is more than a Savior. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's take a look at that as he, as he fleshes out even more um, uh, in verses 19 through 23 what he's praying so he said i want you to have wisdom and that i want you to understand your position in christ in verses 17 and 18 and then verse 19 through 23 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so one of the things you know the people in Ephesus um, many of them uh, had burned their books of sorcery and their livelihood was now destroyed. And certainly they were being persecuted for their testimony that they had in Christ. And so one of the things that they were, they were not only suffering persecution and, uh, and, um, uh, and being uh, despised in the culture, they were also suffering financially, many of them. They were having some difficulties because their old lifestyle was now destroyed. Their new life in Christ uh, was, has taken them a complete different direction, and it cost them. It cost them uh, being uh, uh, rejected by their society, but it also cost them in their, in, their, uh, uh, in, in their financial way. So you could see as Paul talks about, I want you to understand your riches in Christ. I want you to grab hold on this because this will help you through. These were the things that he was praying for the people in Ephesus. 
So that's kind of a high level um, of what uh, Paul was, uh, uh, Paul did in verses uh, 15 through 23. But now I want to take a look at some of the indicatives, some of the things that we understand, some of the teachings, some of the things from Scripture that are just plain to see in these Scriptures that Paul has uh, given us. So let's take a look at verse 17 again. As we see, God gives wisdom and revelation to those who believe. Verse 17, uh, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So there is an understanding of Scripture that is not wise. And there are many, many religious people that can talk about the Bible and speak about the Bible, but really don't have a heart understanding of the Bible, a regenerated, born-again, salvific understanding of the Bible. And Paul is saying that, um, that the child of God should have the, the, that God gives revelation and wisdom to those who believe. Um, in verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 Paul says but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God so he so wisdom Paul in, in Corinthians there he equates Christ to wisdom so uh, and in verse 17 he talks about that that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's basically saying I want the Lord to give you godly wisdom and the knowledge of Christ. I want to you know we all have to be cautioned and I know that there's so many of you who read who are prolific readers and you follow many different uh, things on YouTube and books and articles, and that is all well and good. But I w- the caution that I would give is whoever you may be listening to, whoever you may be following, if they are not grounded in a godly wisdom of Christ, they may be leading you down a path, slowly but surely, that is not founded on the Bible. So Paul is saying, I want you to have, be grounded in the wisdom and the spirit of Christ, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Christ. So be careful. Always, I, I would say, as a benchmark, as a rule, be reading more Bible than others. I think, that, I think when you, and when that's flipped around, the scope, the filter from which you understand the Bible can be flipped. So... Dig in and become knowledgeable in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 31, it says, especially, and I'm going to take a look at especially verse 30, that's the key here, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, the comparison between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And godly wisdom comes from one place. It comes from the Holy Spirit, given to us as a gift, and it, is, it talks about Christ. It talks about the Bible. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and be, because... 
of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Again, the equating of Christ to wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it, it, as it is written, let one who boasts boast in the Lord. Again, a good telltale sign of someone who is maybe not preaching or teaching the right word of God is they are boastful about the truths that they're proclaiming from the word. Any revealed wisdom from God's word will yield humility in the believer, not pride. So that's a little litmus test. If somebody says, I found this new thing, this new doctrine, this new, this new uh, revelation, and I'm going to share it with you. Look what God's given me. Where's the focus? The focus is on me, not on God. Whenever we read the word, the wisdom of God will reveal itself to us and generate humility in us and praise toward God. So um, in, in verse 30 again, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So, and, and, and you, you, know, I, you know I can't teach without really mentioning Pilgrim's Progress, and there's this guy in Pilgrim's Progress named Talkative, and he would just talk, 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 talk. You can't pick a topic he would be an expert on, and he would talk. He would talk about the Bible all day long, but again, there was no heart there was no revelation. There was no godly wisdom there. He was just a talker. Avoid foolish and vain babblings, as the King Jimmy says. And, and by the way, I have my, uh, my Beaky Bible here, which is uh, King James. And I'm, I'm just, that's just a, uh, it's just a, I don't know. I'm just trying to be funny, but not doing a good job at it. <laughs> so wisdom and revelation are a gift from God. I want, you, I want you to grab hold of that thought. This is the uh, in, indicative. When Paul is asking God to, in prayer that wisdom be given to the new converts, that that wasn't, that the implicit thing there is that wisdom is not there. Wisdom is needed. And the wisdom that we get that is from God is a gift from God. You can't say, I am wise and boast in yourself. The wisdom that we have can only come from God. The natural person in 1 Corinthians 2.14 does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There is a worldly wisdom and there is a godly wisdom. And the worldly wisdom is not godly wisdom. And the wisdom that we have that has been revealed to us who are regenerated and born again is a gift from God. So Paul is praying that they receive more and more wisdom in the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of Him. The second thing I think that's um, indicative in these verses is that there is a hope in the, in the calling. Um, we have access to grace and glory. Let's take a look uh, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if you look at verse 18a, uh, that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So we have this hope um, in the glory of God. We have this, uh, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. 
And he is, Paul is driving home through his prayer for the Ephesians. He wants them to know that the hope that they have is a real hope and it will give, um, it will give peace to them. It will, give, uh, uh, it will help them in their daily lives and he wants them to understand that the hope that they have is not a vain hope. Um, there are hopes. You know, you can hope. You can have hope in your 401k. You could have hope in, um, uh, you know, that something will go right at work. You could have lots of hope for lots of things, but there is a sure hope in the resurrected Christ. There is a hope in the calling that comes from Christ. When, when we're, we're called by him, we are his. There is a hope in the resurrection. But we do not, in, verse, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, but we, do not want, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. You know, there's, there's the old uh, saying, I think a guy wrote a book, Seven Steps of Highly Effective People or something like that years ago, and one of the premises of that book is begin with the end in mind. And I think that's a great philosophy to have as a Christian. We should do everything in our daily lives with the end in mind. Uh, And for the Christian, it's the hope in the resurrection. And this is what Paul is saying in uh, verse 18a. He says, the hope to which he has called you. We have the hope of the glory of God, that we have access to the glory of God. We have the hope in the resurrection, and it is a true and solid hope. And if we keep that end in mind, it filters out all the noise of all the decisions and all the distractions of the world that may try to get us off course or may try to make us make bad decisions when we know what the end state is going to be. And it's pretty easy to know when you're living with not, with not having that hope in mind, that end state, the end state where we will all be with our resurrected Christ forever. And the world doesn't have hope. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, remember that you were at, uh, at that time separated from Christ prior to your, prior to your regeneration and salvation, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So where is the real hope? Do the unsaved have hope? Paul is saying no. There is no hope for the unsaved. They may think they have hope. They may, they may conjure up hope. They may have worldly philosophies that give them hope. But their end state, the end that they have in mind, is not based on the reality of the wisdom of God that's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and given to us through Christ. We... And Paul is praying all these things. I want you to have this wisdom. I want you to have this knowledge. I want you to have this hope as he prays these prayers so that we can understand that we are truly the only ones who know Christ who have true hope because we know what the end is. In verse 18b, the, there are riches of his inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. Let's look at 18b for, before I go on to that. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now there is, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, but the inheritance. Um, you know, uh, if, if someone's passing away, 
uh, and you think I might get some inheritance from that. Um, you know, if, uh, um, well, I, I was going to tease somebody, but I, I won't. Um, so uh, the, we, you can have an inheritance expected from an earthly parent, an earthly benefactor, someone who dies, and you're thinking, I'm going, when that comes through to me, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But then somebody contests it, and you don't get it. Somebody, they're, 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 you, what you thought was there wasn't there. And that inheritance maybe wasn't what you thought it was going to be. What, what, uh, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is that he, as he prays for them, is that he wants them to understand that their inheritance is phenomenal. Look at, verse, uh, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So inheritance generally falls to the children. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and then he adds, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We, are in a, we have an inheritance that's expected, and it's true. It's coming. We are joint heirs with Christ. The inheritance is unimaginable. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love him. So, here we have an unimaginable, wonderful inheritance that's ours. And Paul is praying, I want you to understand these things. These are life-changing things to lay hold on. The new man and woman live life in revealed assurance. And as we get more toward the application, this statement will become more and more relevant to our lesson, the new man and woman live life in revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ. The inheritance is guaranteed. Again, First Peter chapter one, three through five. I'll just read that. It's it's not just maybe, but sure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's hope and resurrection in the same verse again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's work, God works mightily and powerfully through Christ who is raised from the dead. Verses 19 and 20. And what is his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus has all power. At the end of Matthew, he said, all power is given to me. We have here that we, it, Paul is saying that it's immeasurable. That's a better way of saying that all power is given can you, it's, it, you can't measure it. It's beyond our capability as created human beings to understand the breadth, the depth, the height of Christ's power. Christ is all-powerful. 
He is, and it's, and, and the thing that Paul is saying in verse 19, and that great power that Christ has, and he's trying to get them to understand and comprehend this, it's for us, to us who believe according to the working of his great might. And let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, 12 through 15. We have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. Jesus Christ put all the rulers and the principalities and the powers that be in all, whether visible or invisible, he put them to shame through His death and resurrection, triumphing over them in it. And Paul, in his prayer to the Ephesians, was driving this point home. He wanted them to not only get it up here, he wanted them to apprehend it through the wisdom and knowledge of God in the Bible and through the understanding of who their new Savior is and what their standing is in Him. And then, All things, so the authority, so he has not only a a power, but he also has authority. All things are put under the authority of Christ in verses 21 through 23. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. All things are put under the authority of Christ. Christ is the head of all things, including the church. So what are some of the imperatives? So we kind of talked about what Paul was trying to give to the Ephesians, what he was praying that they would receive. What are the implicit imperative applications that we could that the that we could that we could take away from this. Number one, God gives wisdom and revelation to those who believe. So seek wisdom. I mean that's simple, right? I, I the fool in Proverbs is really just an unwise person. We can be foolish, even older people like me. We can be foolish if we act unwisely. Wisdom is, comes through the Holy Spirit's revelation of the Word of God to us, and there is, there is wisdom to be found for every circumstance, every decision, everything that we need to do and understand is found in the Word of God. We should seek wisdom for ourselves. We should foster a desire, no matter in what. We shouldn't say, I got this, Lord. I can handle this one. I've done this before. Didn't Joshua do that? It's just a little city. We've conquered Jericho. It's just a little tiny city. I can do this. He didn't ask God for wisdom. He didn't ask God, should I? And what happened? They they suffered a, a temporary defeat at Ai. 
How many temporary defeats do we suffer because we don't seek wisdom? So as Paul was praying wisdom, praying that the Ephesians receive wisdom, we should also have that hard attitude that we seek wisdom. In, in, um, uh-oh. in uh, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he is the man who takes refuge in him. Um, develop an uncompromising compassion to know Christ. Foster a desire to receive God's wisdom. So, taste and see. Do you want do, everything that we we do? Everything that we want to do should should be. We should have a hunger to know what God wants us to do, and 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 seek it out. God gives godly wisdom to anyone who asks. You know, James, we all know the verse, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we can ask and give it. We don't want to consume it on our lust. Lord, I really want to buy that truck. I really want that new... I'm trying to think of things that ladies would want. I know what guys want, but ladies, you fill in the blank. I really want that. Fill in the blank. Um whatever we, we should we should ask uh, God's wisdom in all things. Realize the importance of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, uh, get understanding. That's out of Proverbs 4, 7. And then we have the great example of Solomon. God said, what do you want? What? What, what do I want? If God asked me what I want, the first thought, and, and, you know, I'm talking to God, and, and he said, I'll give you what you want. Would my first thought have been what Solomon's first thought was? I don't know. I'd like to think in my, in, you know, oh, yes, of course that's what I would have asked for. But I don't think so. And so God commended Solomon in Second uh, Chronicles uh, 1, 11, and 12. He said, because you're, this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or life, or the life of those who hate you? I mean, I'm thinking, I might have asked for one of those things, maybe all of those things. Did you ever think, Lord, get them? Get, get that person? Or I want something? I, I'm not content with what I have. I need something more. But Solomon didn't ask for any of that. And you have not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom for, and knowledge for yourself and that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I also give you these other things, basically, the Lord said. I give, I'm going to give you all of it. Because you were smart, you were, wise to ask, you were wise to ask for wisdom. So let's realize that we're not as smart as we think we are. We really need wisdom. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how, long you, how much Bible you know, how, much, how many scriptures you have memorized. You haven't received all the wisdom that God wants to give you. And God will let you trip up and fall. God will let me and you trip up and fall if we arrogantly march on without. I got this. I can do this. We should seek wisdom for other Christians. Help other Christians to grow. That they, you know, they, uh, uh, they and we should desire the sincere milk of the word like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that we may grow up into salvation. For our families, 
This is where kind of the application really starts to, to mean something other than personally. We have responsibilities for wisdom. If Paul is praying for wisdom for his church, for the church in Ephesus, at moms and dads, shouldn't we be praying for wisdoms for our kids and for ourselves as we lead our home? Spouses ask for wisdom on how the, to, to, to better be better spouses and to be better fathers and mothers. We need wisdom in rearing our children. We should have a, a hunger for that. There is hope in the, in the calling, a look to the future for what we believe. I want you to listen to this statement. This is, this is an important statement. A look to the future, what we believe about the future, drives how we live today. So again, that's that begin with the end in mind, or live today with the end in mind. A, an understanding will lead to, the living, to living in the view of eternity. We should live, and I feel like I have to use the word eschaton, we should live in light of eternity, in light of the future eschaton, where we will be with Christ forever. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought ye to be in lives of holiness and godliness. We should be so enamored, so confident, so immersed in the thought that we are going to be living with Christ for, through all eternity, that all, everything that we see, Peter says, is going to be gone. It's going to burn up. All of the things that are concerning with this world are going to be dissolved. What manner of person should we be? We should be consumed zealots for living for Christ. The hope of His calling will embolden us to share your hope with both the, un, un, the saved and the unsaved. So if we have this hope, this hope of, I know how it's, the story ends, you don't. I know how the story ends, and, and when we talk to the unsaved, we could say, I know how the story ends. I could be bold in sharing this with you because I have 100% confidence that I know the living Savior, the God of the universe, and He is going to rule and reign forever. I have this hope. I can be bold to share that with you. And then for a stumbling brother or sister in Christ who is having a tough time, it's also great to remind them of this bold, of this hope that we have in Christ. Look, it's bad now. You are going through a dark providence. You are going through a hard time. But remember, we have this great hope of living with Christ. This is not a, 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 a fairy tale or a mystery that can't be uh, uh, known. This is the truth that Jesus Christ is raised and is coming again and we will live and rule and reign with Him forever. It's, 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 a, it's a hope that emboldens us. In 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And the thought I had when I was preparing this is that I used to, I used to just apply that for somebody who was unsaved. But it also can apply to someone who is saved. Someone who is struggling. Someone who is falling. Someone who is is needing that reassurance 
of who they are in Christ. And that's what Paul was praying for the Ephesians, that they would understand who they are in their new life in Christ and who Christ is in relation to them. The new man and woman live life in a revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ. There are riches of his inheritance. So forget that which is past and live for the promise of hope. In Philippians chapter 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have, ma- I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and, and straining forward to what lies behind. So this is kind of, I've been, I've been leaning this way, I've been saying things related to this and kind of talking about this. We should be forgetting the past, and, and, and if, so there, there are a couple of ways you could look at this. The, the past sins that you might have had, the past regrets that you might have had, they are, if you've repented from them and you've, and you've returned and you've gone to Christ for them, you could forget those and live for Christ now. But also we should just remember that whatever is here in this world, in this age, in this life, is not going to matter um, we should forget which is past and live for the promised hope because that is all that matters. God works mightily and powerfully through Christ who, raised, who is raised from the dead in verse 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Live knowing there is no greater power then Christ in the world, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he has a measurable greatness. Jesus is greater than uh, who we have, is greater than anything, anyone, any power in the world. Live knowing you are a son of God and God is working his sanctification in you. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are the child, God's children now, and what will, we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So live lo- knowing that you're a son of God. You're royalty. Do you walk around as a prince? Do you walk around as a child of the king, a joint heir with Christ? Are we discouraged by the providences of the world which overcome these truths which Paul is trying to pray for for the, for the church in Ephesus and which we should apprehend for ourselves? All things are put under the authority of Christ. Live in the truth and the power of God. If God before you, who can be against you? If God before you, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then finally, by the uh, imperative, live like you're more than a conqueror because nothing can separate you from the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I think this has been well fleshed out. I've hit this from several different angles, and I think the scripture is very clear about these things. So live like you're more than a conqueror. Know in all these things, in Romans chapter 8, 37 through 39, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else 
in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as we conclude this morning's lesson, I just want to talk, just want to reiterate that the man and woman, the new man and the new woman, live life in revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ. Are we living life in the revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ? So, with that, I will open it up to questions. But I do have some questions that are listed here. Um, and, uh, but we don't have to stick to the script. I'm fine with going off script with the questions. But if you want to play Stump the Chump, you could probably stump me. Um, but uh, I, 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 uh, any question is good. What are some ways we can get a heart to pray for growth in our Christian brothers and sisters? So Paul was praying that the Christian brothers and sisters would um, receive wisdom and knowledge of Christ. How can we, in our lives, develop the kind of heart that Paul had for other Christians and in, in gaining wisdom to, to pray for them without ceasing? <laughs> Pastor Ken? Was that my wife raising her hand? Yes, that was your wife raising her hand. Um, I, I thought that was a really good question. And I and, uh, started to think about that. And we think about in our families. We grow up together in our families, and we know each other really well. And I know we're blood, um, but it's one of the reasons why we are able to pray for and think about them is because we know them so well. So uh, the same thing can be true in the church. If you get to know somebody you may better be able to understand what they're going through and be able to pray with them. And on the flip side of that, if you don't let yourself be known, you're hindering that. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that dovetails into um, this morning's uh, prayer of confession and the verses that go along with that. So that, that's a really good thought. Lori, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase your question to, so everybody can hear it. So I'll, I'll try to briefly synopsize that if, if, uh, if you couldn't hear her. Lori, start, Lori made the comment that um, the first place that she starts is with herself, and then it broadens out with, uh, to, 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 to culture that, to nurture that desire in herself, and then it broadens out to her family, and then to others in the church. Are there any other comments about that? 
or any other question? Mr. Phil. So what I hear you saying is that if we can get our eyes off ourself so much and put our eyes on our inheritance, then like Paul was praying for that, right? That you, you'll be enlightened, that you'll see how great what you're getting is then we won't be so worried about this current condition that we're in. Amen. I think you nailed it. So I think that we need to pray for that in ourselves and in others just like Paul did. And we'll, be, we'll live in view of eternity Amen. if we have that faith. Amen. Am I hearing you right? I, I think I think you are. Yes. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? All right. Um, how does the knowledge of Christ's power and resurrection influence your daily decision making? Or maybe how should, or how does the knowledge of Christ's power and resurrection influence your daily decision making? When I think of Christ's power, I think of his ability to heal. And we can continually pray for people who are in really bad straits. You know, you look at people with, with human eyes and you say, they'll not recover or whatever. And yet God uh, healed me. And God has the authority to heal. Amen. So Bill, Bill, uh, amen. So Bill uh, uh, focused in on that God has the ability to heal, and we should we should ask um, that God heals us because even if uh, even if humanly speaking things don't look well, God is the great healer, and we should um, He has that power to do that. So thank you, Bill. Any other comments about that question? Does being a joint heir with Christ give you confidence to live as a Christian should? Any comments? about that. Nathan, thanks for bailing me out, brother. <laughs> oh, I think that one really relates to the question, too, as well. How we talk about the knowledge of those things um, help us overcome our flesh, our sin, and the devil. Um, so when we know our resurrection in him, our union with him, and the power we have through that, it gives us confidence to live as Christians should when we realize Amen. Thank you for that. All right, so um, as a parent, does your view of the returning Christ influence how you train your children? How does that work in your home? George?
So I think I think what George was saying is that um, knowledge of becoming Christ is a good conversation starter with your adult children, and they are interested in that, and that's good. And you know, and 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 to to key off of that, those of us who are older and have adult children, we still, uh, even though they're not directly under our influence, they are still um, our children, and we uh, should be able to speak into their lives um, as as a parent. Um, we don't necessarily train them, but we do influence them. So do you, so I, I think the challenge of this question for parents is, are you training your children? Are you training your children um, with a view towards the power of Christ, the wisdom of the word of God, the inevitability of the returned Christ and those who know him will live with him forever? This is, this is sure and steadfast hope. There is no other alternative reality. Are you training your children, focusing on that with them to make sure that they know Christ as best you can? As I think that's the, that's the, the charge that's imperative that's indicated through the, through the truth of Christ's power, resurrection, and coming. Um, why is sharing the hope you have with both the saved, why, uh, why is sharing the hope you have with both the saved and the unsaved? Well, that's not really a question, is it? Um, yeah, who wrote this? Um, uh, so how can sharing this hope be an admonition uh, for the unsaved and an encouragement for the saved? And I kind of touched on that in, 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 the, um, in the lesson. But how can sharing the hope that we have in Christ be uh, an, an admonition for the unsaved and encouragement for the saved? For those of you who are witnessing, does this impact how you witness? For those of you who are... Um, discipling or encouraging brothers and sisters, does this influence what you do? Christina? Amen. 
Amen. There is, uh, in the qualifications of deacons, and I, I can't think of um, where the verse is, it says that deacons, uh, be becoming deacons, are given a measure of boldness. And I think of Stephen uh, as he preached um, and uh, was about ready to be martyred, the boldness that he had. And his message was the risen Christ. He bold, and they were admonished. They were cut to the quick. They gnashed on him with the, their teeth, teeth. So, um, but he was greatly bold. I think we do receive a measure of boldness the more we um, walk in the truth and the knowledge, and we are uh, guided by the fact that Jesus is coming. It becomes part of us. It becomes who we are, and it, it even reflects in our conversation. To everyone, Christian, unsaved, and um, and parents to children, spouse to spouse, friend to friend, it colors everything. Begin with the end in mind. The new man and woman, woman, live life in revealed assurance of the resurrected and returning Christ. Well, I want to thank you for your attention uh, this morning. Um, I, I, I know that we are embarking on this new Sunday school thing and it causes your Sunday morning to be a little bit chaotic where before it wasn't so, but I pray that the Lord um, uh, has blessed us um, this morning and that you are refreshed for having made the effort to come this morning. And I'll close this out in prayer and I think we're going to have some snacks in just a few minutes uh, and then we'll have uh, our Lord's Day worship service in just a little bit. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the testimony of Paul. We're thankful for the church in Ephesus which you raised from heathen, pagan people and turned them from who they were to being joint heirs with Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you have regenerated us, that you have taken us from who we were, pagan, sinners, on our way to hell. We are companions in that regard to those in Ephesus of our lostness, and we are companions with them of our saved state with you. We look forward to the day when all things will be made right, when you return. And Lord Jesus, we do pray that you'd come. In the meantime, help us to live out our lives in a way that is well-pleasing to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.